after the year 2020, the Spoiler Room crew thought things were going to cool down. But they are just heating up. Cannon fodder. We're in the shit now. Listen in as this elite group of cinema special forces take on an army of cannon group films. What the hell are we watching? I don't know, but I can't take my eyes off it. Prepare yourself for urban action. Kung Fu action. Action, action. There will be car chases, ninja, and of course, movie spoilers in Cannon Fodder. Happy Fodder's Day. Welcome all. We do have a viewer to the spoiler room. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair and sitting with us tonight. Yes, we are talking about the third film in the Missing in Action franchise, aptly named Braddock Missing in Action 3 from 1988. Saigon, 1975. Colonel James Braddock left behind more than memories. Your son's name is Van. He's alive. Now, 12 years later, he's not just a soldier going after the enemy. He's a father searching for his child. You must pay for the crimes that you have committed against my beloved country. Until he discovers a generation left behind. The orphans of a forgotten war. Now, Braddock is on a heroic mission of mercy. Get in the truck! Chuck Norris is fighting for everyone who can't fight back. Don't step on any toes. I don't step on toes. I step on necks. Chuck Norris. Braddock, missing in action three. To alert the battalions of Chuck Norris fans to the video premiere of his latest blockbuster hit, media will fortify dealers with a full array of strategic POP support. Our high-profile, full-color floor standee will pull customers right into the action. Chuck Norris commands attention with this special Missing in Action 3 media light box insert. And America's favorite hero is also available for wall or window duty with this full-size theatrical poster. It's an all-out in-store assault with Chuck Norris in Braddock, Missing in Action 3. And sitting here with me tonight to talk about this uh, third film in the trilogy is none other than my right-hand man, co-host, and friend. It is Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, sir. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. You know, I got to enjoy this while I can, this feeling, because we're about to talk about Braddock missing in action three. You, you know, um, 
now I, I got to correct you, Mark. Mm. Uh, you said this is the third film in the Mission and Action series. Uh, you had a, an extra H in that word. It's the it's the third film. <laughs> oh, the- this will be an interesting <laughs> discussion. Yeah, wait. Let me look in your eye. I think I see freedom. I see freedom <laughs> in your eye. <laughs> oh but my God! Will will you buy freedom? But will you buy freedom? I don't know if I'll buy freedom anymore. Well, I got to so, check between my couch cushions because Team America World Police taught me that freedom isn't free. It, in fact, costs a buck oh five. But it also taught you that America, fuck yeah. So there you go. God, that, that's a movie I got to watch again. Oh, I love that. So, yes, Braddock, Missing in Action 3. And, yes, we are joined by the BFD himself in the chat tonight. It is Woo! in a bunker productions, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. So glad you could join us. And he quoted as saying, and we'll start the episode off right, Brada! <laughs> Get used to that. You'll hear it about a dozen times. So, Ian, <laughs> by all means, sir, as always, please give the synopsis of Braddock, Missing in Action 3. I'm just going to read the IMDb synopsis that I read last week incredulously before i saw this movie i'm like they can't really no yeah they did braddock that's james braddock played by chuck norris braddock mounts a one-man assault to free his wife and son who are still being held in a vietnam prison camp yeah uh (laughs) that's yeah you know we talked last week about and you gave this wonderful education about the the order of the first two mission missing and it's hard to say not say mission impossible yeah when you're talking seen it yeah yeah but you know the first movie was actually supposed to be the second movie the second movie was supposed to be the first movie but they made the second movie first which was wise because the first missing in action is a masterpiece especially compared to the second and the third films these movies keep getting worse in quality which is amazing to say but i gotta say uh i admire the fact that no one cares about continuity at all <laughs> They don't even care. They don't even care about the premise of the entire series, which is that James Braddock was a Vietnam, a soldier Soldier. in Vietnam who gets captured, spends time in a prison camp, eventually makes his way back to the United States and then returns back to, you know, the the, goes back to the war. He brings the war back to them to save other MIAs. Uh, He doesn't get captured in this movie he doesn't spend any time in a vietnamese prison camp uh the opening war scene is the fall of saigon in 1975 uh he survives he gets shot true mounting the helicopter but he's taken home and i was like okay at this point is the helicopter gonna get shot down and that's how he gets captured no he doesn't spend any time in the prison camp uh his wife there's a case of mistaken identity he presumes that she's killed and years later, he goes, you know, he's it, it's present day. So I guess it's 1987, 1988, mm-hmm. uh, a missionary priest from who's working in Vietnam comes to the States, tracks him down and says, we've found your wife. And he's like, my wife's dead. And he's like, no, she's alive and you've got a son. He's like, that's impossible. <laughs> that, that's that's a good impression. Keep going. Thank you. I'm, I'm liking uh, this. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so. Braddock teams up again with a wacky, you know, former pilot. You know, this guy's not, his name isn't Tuck. His name's Mickelson or yeah, Mikloshevsky. Yeah, yeah, Mick. Yeah. yeah, flies him back in country and Braddock 
mounts a one-man rescue mission and runs afoul of another corrupt Vietnamese general. This guy's named uh, General Guac, and all I thought was guacamole. No, yeah, I just want some. I just want some chips and salsa. Anything to get too. me through this movie. Uh, but you know, here's the thing: it's weird because Guac and also yes, Mrs. Mrs. Braddock. A couple of times during this movie, I think Guac is says this both times, but there might have been another character who recognizes Braddock. He says, I recognize you or your reputation precedes you or whatever. I'm like, what yeah. reputation? These other movies didn't happen. <laughs> It'd be one thing if like he had gone back to the States after these other two movies, which, first of all, we never resolved the wonderful cliffhanger at the first mission and missing mission, an action missing film, action film yeah. where he breaks into the embassy with these four MIAs after Viet the Vietnamese government has denied right. that there are any MIAs. I'm like, oh, my God, this is again, this is the end of Iron Man one where it's an international incident. Right. We never come back to it. And then these other movies didn't happen. So it's like. Yeah, Braddock, we we hurt we your reputation precedes you as like a guy who just, you know, got in a helicopter and left Vietnam, I guess. I don't know. What's well, going on here? Well, I mean, well, they don't reference the other two, but I mean he is known because he's being followed for some reason by the CIA. So I think that's kind of alluded to mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I, I think it's alluded the events from one as that'd be why the CIA was in you know interested in him because he just went ahead and rescued those other guys without talking to them at all you know the first in the first film so maybe they're keeping him under watch so he doesn't go rogue again and <laughs> the first film never happened because in the first movie he was captured kept in a camp for eight years escaped and came back to america oh that's true that's true and, he, and he, missing in action three he never gets he captured, captured. <laughs> he, he's there on a chopper so it's it's a standalone movie it's like james bond he is like james bond that boat he got a James Bond mini craft. Come on, with complete with jet engine, the bat boat, man. It was a badass boat. I'll give you that. But here's the problem: they just need to, uh, it, like, okay, James Bond. Even though they say, oh, it's Bond twenty three, it's Bond twenty five. That's just for the audience to keep track of, like, you know, which Bond era and which number movie they're on. It's not like it's James Bond part twenty. To right. Casino yeah. Royale. So, this is Braddock missing in action three, which implies okay. continuity. I'd be fine if it was like Braddock, Braddock? you know, the war comes home or something mm -hmm. like that, where it's like every time you're resetting the stage. So it's because even Bond isn't, you know, remembering stuff from his missions mm -hmm. 50 years ago. It's just the same character, but it's like a reset button every time. I'd be fine with that, but I, I take my movies and continuity very seriously, even when the filmmakers don't. It's just very confusing because this film started off with so much premise or promise it, in its premise. It, it did. It did start off. Uh, the, the, the trilogy started off really strong and we welcome Lee as well to our hey. spoiler room uh, discussion. So glad you could join us, Lee. And yeah, I mean, the first, it started off well. And then you had two. We're like, OK, you know, and then we were talking about two. Oh, all right, well, there's Braddock three, and it's like two. You look at two, you go, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't take things any further and 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 be any worse as far as the Jangoism and and other things and the propaganda and Braddock missing in action three went hold my beer, mm -hmm. uh, be, because um, 
yeah, you know, I mean, it starts off with them, the, the, the fall of Saigon. America has lost its position in Saigon. So they're evacuating the embassy and they're doing the, the whole embassy thing. People are burning, you know, uh, documents as they're trying to get helicopters, airlifting people off as there's other people trying to get in. Um, they're ripping off the embassy, the United States emblem off of the front of the building. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a cool, like it's a this, cool. Yeah. This, you know, I, it was so frustrating because when I realized what I was watching, I'm like, Oh, they're throwing all the continuity of all the other previous movies out the window in this presentation of it. I'm really pissed off, but I was also in awe at what Aaron Norris, which I probably yep. is Chuck Norris's son. No, uh, brother. Is direct. Oh, it's his brother? Okay. This is his brother. Oh, I, yeah. He was born in 51, I think. So I, I don't know yeah, how old. He, he did Chuck the, Norris is eternal. He, but, did, um, he did the stunt coordination on the on the first films, and then he decided they got him to do the, I, I think, and then the direction on this one. So, Well, what he accomplishes with this Fall of Saigon sequence is pretty amazing. It is. Because it's this huge scale. It looks like... It looks like they filmed this during the actual fall of Saigon. Like, hey, we might as well kind of like they did with the first missing in action movies. Right, yeah. Like, hey, the first one's going great. Let's make the second one while we're here. Uh, so I was really impressed with it. But then it gets kind of goofy. Like uh, Lynn, his, you know, uh, J James Braddock's Vietnamese wife, she has left the embassy because she's supposed to be flying out with him. She's gone right. back to their home in the city to get some other things yeah to get to get to, some to, dresses and stuff get, i'm like you understand that the city is being ripped apart and stuff is being burned down but you got to have this dress i suppose but she gives her her friend you know they're hanging out like trying on clothes in her apartment her friend secretly steals a bracelet from her uh which is one of the reasons that uh braddock comes to think that his wife is dead but in that scene, the wife leaves. She's on her way to the embassy. The friend is in the apartment dancing around in a dress. And she goes like, tee oh, great. And then she hears the, and then she's this moment of like, <gasps> and then it blows Kaboom, up. It's almost yeah. like comedy. Like, a I didn't expect to see this. This is something you'd see in like a Tom. This has a, the sensitivity of a Tom Green movie that is true i will agree I have to with bring you up my that. weekly freddy got fingered i know you gotta bring up you gotta bring up just like my son bringing up big wheel in our synopsis of uh in our in our talk of falcon and winter soldier yes we got to get a freddy got fingered reference very good but you are right it, it is handled a little comical but then you get the dark moment this the the, the saigon sequence does remind me and have a lot of hints back to the first missing in action where you had kind of these, you had some heavy moments in there and then you had, uh, you know, the, the kind of awkward, weird, uh, lighter moments in a moment, you know, but you, you kind of have a little bit of that blend in here, not as heavy, but the spirit is there, I think in the opening of this. And then, uh, yeah, the whole Brad, what gets me with the whole, wife thing dying thing was one there's a pro it's problematic because even burnt she didn't resemble his wife so him just you know i mean, uh, I mean there was well, the shock value too but still i'm like eh. well it is weird because like we see the bracelet on the arm that's dangling out from beneath the sheet but then he he pulls back the sheet. He pulls back the sheet, but it's weird because 
he pulls it back even further as if to say, yep, those are her tits. Or, you know, <laughs> well, like, he pulls what? back the head and then he's like, wait, is that her? Huh? Oh, that must be her. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's it's very. And I, I apologize for my crude language, but that's but that's what I was thinking. Watch this. Like, you what can, do you, you can say what but, you want? Like, right. But it's like what? uh what identifying marks like if he was looking for the dress the dress was all just like black and clingy to her as well uh it's it's just very odd um and then his his reaction for it being his wife i know he's braddock mr america and but he doesn't barely seem like emotionally hurt at all that his wife is a charred broiled you know, barbecued just in front of him while Saigon is being burned and they're leaving. You know, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, it's, it's, I know he's trying to be Mr. Tough and it's Chuck Norris, but this is supposed to be his wife that he loved. I mean, this is the yeah. same guy who's going to break every international law and commit some seriously international issues <laughs> with killing government members of a foreign nation, regardless of bad guys or not, unsanctioned to go find his wife and apparently his son, which... Don't think too hard about the whole sun thing because that... well, because yeah, uh, she was newly barely pregnant, had to have been had yeah because because the 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 boy is twelve years old when you know we find out that he's he's a thing and even Braddock when the priest tells him he's like well you've got a son he's like I think he said something like that's impossible yeah. I'm like. Yeah, that does feel kind of impossible because, you know, Lynn was a very, you know, skinny and and agile and mobile young lady when she was making her way through the city. Um, gotta say, it's an odd thing. Uh, she's one of those, the actress who plays her, I don't, I didn't look her up, like what her name is, but uh, she's one of those actresses who looks far better without makeup and kind of disheveled <laughs> than when she's in makeup because when she was in makeup, I kept thinking like she looks really rather uh handsome if you know what i'm saying did, did, did it child braddock yes child Frank. thank you glenn <laughs> and uh it, just a moment lee's got a good one here hi my name is lee m and i saw the scene <laughs> action movies in the theater when they came out thanks for letting me attend your meeting so glad you could join this uh watching all three missing in action film support group lee uh we missing in actions anonymous i like it yeah, missing in actions and <laughs> missing anonymous there you go <laughs> uh, but but in in response to your, you know, why didn't Braddock have any kind of reaction? Uh, it's probably because he had the same emotional investment in this person who was supposed to be his wife as I did, because I'm like, I've never seen this person before you know, until well, five minutes earlier. Well, let's not t- let's also talk about the dialogue she was having with her friend beforehand about how she's going to. Uh, uh, M I A A. Yeah, I like that. I think we need to get pins and a coin for every time we watch the film. You get a you get a coin. Um, M I A A. If we do this, this podcast will disappear. It, it will. <laughs> we need to be rescued by Chuck Norris. We'll be rescued by Chuck Norris. It's okay. He won't have his shirt on anyway, so it'll all be good. Um, we all win. We all Sorry, win. the dialogue. We all win, but the dialogue. Her dialogue. I was. I w- it, it was borderline. It borderlined that cliche. I mean, they already had the cliche of 
the American soldier with the Vietnamese wife, which we had seen in, you know, Vietnam films. But she's talking to her friend and she's packing up Braddock's stuff, but not hers. And I was waiting for the line is, oh, when I get to the States, I'll be able to buy what I want. I was waiting Mm. for that line because it was leaning towards that, you know, that she didn't care about these other things. She was taking care of Braddock's things, which another thing I was just like. Really? You 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 ventured through these raving, rioting crowds and explosions to get Braddock's suits. R- really? Because she, she gave away her dresses. It's like he doesn't care. He wears fatigues or no shirt. He doesn't need his dress blues. Right. Like I'm much more I would much rather watch a movie about like an origin story of him falling in love with this woman. How long have they been together? Because there's a real story there, I think. And I think you could even have worked it in where this ties into the continuity of the first one, because Mm -hmm. we don't know much about James Braddock. So maybe he did have a wife in country. Maybe he was over there so long that he fell in love and and eventually he was going to go back to the States and maybe bring her with and all this other stuff. So they, they didn't have to forget everything that came before. But this movie, as we'll soon see, doesn't care about story or or anything really it's just about like it's it's proto saw torture porn and stuff getting blown up and and faceless vietnamese victims yeah we'll definitely get there in just a minute first lee said braddock should have known his mighty seaman could travel back to vietnam from the u.s to impregnate his wife he should have because what here's the thing spunk norris if you wanted a clinic in foreshadowing You've got to watch this film because you get the scene after the fall of Saigon. We get we we fast forward ahead to present day, which was 1988. Um, And yeah, you get the priest approaching Braddock, dropping the news. Hey, your wife's still alive and you've got a son and you CIA for whatever reason. We never find out have Braddock under. We have to talk about that. In a second, yeah. But what I loved, what I got a kick out of this scene was the fact that the priest drops this line like the whole audience. It's like it's a wink to the audience because he goes, I just thought I'd tell you, I doubt there's anything you could do about it anyway. (laughs) You know, he literally nearly said it like that. Like, yes, James, you can't go to Vietnam and get your (laughs) wife. That would be bad. Uh, but here's the thing. That that nudge and a wink assumes that this is the same Braddock from the other movies. Like, right. yeah, we know you're th- because as far as the priest knows, he's just some, you know, army guy who left Vietnam years ago. Some, you know, specialist or he could have been a typist. I don't know what the hell. But th- that scene and the scene after it just opens up a whole bunch of questions and speaks to the fact that these writers didn't care about anything except getting back to Vietnam to kill people because the priest comes in. He didn't think he's very good friends with Lynn back in Vietnam. I guess yeah. they worked together in that orphanage for the Amerasian kids is basically the, as Colonel Guac refers to him, the bastard kids of Vietnam. So it's like, right from what we've seen of the other movies, he had a lot of servicemen over there who were whoring around and having, un, you know, having kids. And these kids grew up somewhere. They grew up in Vietnam and they're culturally lost. That's another movie I would love to see. Like right? what, what the stories <laughs> of these kids, but so he's very good friends with Lynn. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think to bring a picture 
Like, hey, this is your wife. You recognize her. I took this photo last week. She's alive. Instead, he just says, I didn't expect to, you to believe me anyway. So then it's like, why even bother tracking down this Vietnam vet who probably has all sorts of trauma, irregardless of what happened to his wife, if he didn't think there's any chance of anything happening? So that leads to the CIA dropping in on this bar. Why do they have Braddock under surveillance? Because he is not a super soldier, as we've discussed. They drag him into the CIA headquarters. He talks to this guy who, for some reason, has a beef with him. We don't know why, because, again, he's not a super soldier who's breaking the rules. And he says, uh, you know, yeah, your wife is. We understand the priest came to tell you about your wife. How do you feel about that? And he's like, I didn't think it was true until you told me again. Why bring him? Why haul him in just to to tell him your wife's alive, but you better not go do anything about it? This movie makes no sense at all. <laughs> the, the whole set, the setup really doesn't make sense. No, I, it was kind of scratching my head. I was expecting for like a little more dialogue of some sort of their history. Like, I mean, because he's I, it almost was like they had a section where someone said, you know, what would be a cool code name for a CIA guy? Little John. Let's put that in the film. Well, how are we going to get it? Well, they've got Braddock under surveillance. I mean, in this world, they partially alluded to that maybe he has this reputation of being the badass. The way, you know, the priest talks to him, oh, you can't do anything anyway. And then the CIA goes, are afraid that Braddock's going to go back into Vietnam to get his wife and kid, though they don't establish, okay, he's a veteran. And if he is a badass, like we had in the first films why wouldn't you want to help him get his wife legitimately wife and son back there's a movie there of them trying to get braddock you know get them to actually have her released because she's being considered you know well she's in hiding because she's considered an enemy of the state because she worked for the embassy as a translator Mm -hmm. But still, you would you would think, oh, this is a veteran reaching out to help. But no, no, the bad government of the U.S. said we aren't going to help our veteran. Don't go to Vietnam when they know by saying don't go to Vietnam. He's going to go to Vietnam because they you know, they, they confirmed it. So you've got the priest and the CIA, you know, one for, in, you know, direct uh, for uh, directly uh, egging him on. And then the CIA possibly inadvertently egging him on, you know, to go to Vietnam to get his wife, which actually happens anticlimactically him meeting his wife because he takes his James Bond boat, which <laughs> which surprised me because Mick hooks him up with the boat, which while we may not care for the writing and the setup of this film, and as we go a little bit further into the film, um, you'll find out more bits we may like or dislike. I do have to give props to whoever they got to uh, do the cinematography in this film, especially for those scenes where they're flying to Vietnam, because it's not CGI, folks. They've got a real plane that's flying only about 10 feet above the water in a couple of these shots. And spectacular, just, yeah. And I'm like sitting there going, in a film like this, it's just like that opening scene with Saigon there's these moments in here where you look at into the scope and what's involved in these scenes. You're like, I'm watching this in this type of film. This is actually pretty amazing. This plane flying along the, the ocean, but you're like, 
Holy crap. You know, some of the explosions they had, they had those freaking trucks explode while they had people just on the other side of the wall when they were destroying things at the embassy. There's other explosions that are happening here right now. It's like some of the stunts, you could tell it was being directed by a stunt guy. <laughs> well, and then, you know, we'll we'll get to this eventually, but the climax mm. with the, <laughs> I was going to call it a Mexican standoff, but it's, you know, I, I don't know, a Vietnamese standoff uh, with helicopters. You know, like you got guac's helicopter and then like two army helicopters and you can see people talk about godzilla versus kong and like the expressiveness of the characters like yeah right you can do that with cgi artistry there was attitude and expression going on with freaking helicopters in this movie like turning and like the other kind of like the an arched eyebrow move from a helicopter like how do you do that <laughs> so yeah the cinematography and the way things were shot and some of the things they do with vehicles and stunts were amazing in this film i gotta give props to that because when you get to those bigger action sequences you're watching this going wow i did not expect to see something like that you know and, and real helicopters we're not talking models here at the end and even throughout the film you, you see helicopters and trucks and the, the stunts that the trucks are doing or the chase after the cia because they were going to take Norris in and he the before he got taken in he's driving this car all around uh oh that's right that's when they arrive at uh when they arrive in uh um in uh Bangkok because mm -hmm. after the CIA warns him he of course immediately flies to Bangkok hooks up his buddy Mick who he's already talked to but do they have plane phones in 88 I think they do however he contacted this guy just random guy shows up and they're buddies and he's going to have a whole bunch of weapons for him. And the CIA just happened to be right on Norris uh, on Braddock's heels. We get this wonderful car chase scene through uh, an extended through Bangkok, uh, which I loved. Mm -hmm. I thought it was shot. Well, I mean, there's some pretty impressive stunts going on in here and crashing. Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as cinematography and stunts go, those are top notch. And if that's what you go for looking for this film, yeah, just don't think about the story too much, which as with the story goes on, things do not get better. I mean, this orphanage <laughs> looks like it's abandoned because, well, let me backtrack a little. He takes Superboat. The most Superboat does is to outrun the two boats this time, not the one boat like we had in Missing in Action who still take forever to get to the location. They seem to have that issue. He takes bat boat through into the river of the Vietnam and then ditches it. And he puts his containers of weapons underwater, which I will say was smart in a way. So they wouldn't be found, but just hope there's no like river flow or tide or anything. Right. And also, I don't know anything about like boats or weapons or physics, but when he opens up the little side compartment and there's like all of this heavy weaponry, I mean, for, forget the fact that he's, you know, like running around stealthily through the jungle with this giant like grenade launcher bayonet thing. Well, that, that's later. There's, yeah, that's later. Right. But he's got all these weapons. Like, how did this thing not sink? I mean, it's it's a small boat. Again, I don't know, but I'm just looking at this from a practical perspective it, it had a little jet engine on the back why are you questioning whether or not it could stay afloat with the weapons on it? i'm just wondering is this <laughs> is this one of those things where the people making the movie are like yeah we got contacts in the military and you wouldn't believe what they have or is it just like 
no one watching this movie knows anything. We'll just say, yeah, they've got jet propulsion boats now. We know an aircraft carrier can support the weight of Godzilla and King Kong. So here, this boat, I knew I knew that I'd get that reaction. We know this boat (laughs) can handle a grenade launcher, machine gun, bayoneted weapon, along with his uh, other, you know, weaponry and such. He didn't have a whole lot of weaponry in it, so it could hold it. I will say the flotation could hold it. It's viable. But he gets into the the common uh, clothes. He visits the orphanage. They take him to his wife, and he finds her. And it's, I mean, there's very little incident outside of, like, one possible soldier. He pretty much gets into Vietnam and gets to his wife with, like, no, <laughs> I was expecting something more, like, you know, hiding from soldiers and ditching them and that. But, nope, there's a priest. Priest takes him to the, you know, where his wife is. And, okay, let's leave, honey. Oh, yeah, by the way, you've got a son named Vaughn. It's Vaughn. And and in true American fashion, he was saying Van. Van. And I'm like, yeah. no, she pronounced it Vaughn. You can say Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> Just repeat after her, Vaughn. Yeah, Van. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe that was his subtle way of saying, I don't like the name Vaughn. <laughs> you named our kid? <laughs> He's like, well, well, we him to, when he got to high school in America, he's going to have a really hard time, Van. No, <laughs> Wait, um, you named him after what he was conceived in? What? Oh, whoa. <laughs> And that van also had a rocket-powered propulsion system and could carry many weapons. No, Chevy um, van. It was a Chevy van. <laughs> I let's talk a bit about this this wonderful reunion because the scene in the hut was you know nice. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. conflict there because she's like he used to worship you and I tell him stories and but eventually he stopped believing that you were ever going to come and so now he's kind of resentful and you can see oh they've got to build up trust as a family and he's like come on we're going to get you out of here we'll figure this out uh then they go back to that riverbank looking for his boat looking for his boat in the middle of the night good move uh but then there's the introduction to Colonel Guac whose entire <laughs> Entire his entire army. battalion just like there's a spotlight and all these people come out of the bushes like there's no way they could have made their way through that woods down to the bankment without passing those hundred guys <laughs> or the hundred guys like being that no one is that stealthy chuck norris is barely that stealthy but you've got an army of vietnamese chuck norris's uh hanging out what well, is it bad that I was thinking they didn't bring enough guys because it's Chuck Norris? They brought like there's like a hundred soldiers all surrounding Chuck, and I'm like, oh shit's gonna go down now. You know, I'm like, I'm waiting for him to just just go all Norris, but he doesn't because his wife and kid are there. And prepare yourself, folks. This is the spoiler room. So Guac is happy <laughs> to capture Braddock. He obviously he knows Braddock. Don't know by reputation, how. yeah. By reputation what? again. By reputation. Uh, and so he pulls the gun on Braddock and uh, Braddock, you know, just don't, you know, leave them out of it. It's not about them. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely right. And he does the true villain fashion and he shoots Mrs. Braddock in the head. We've gotten about 10 minutes of Mrs. Braddock, maybe total. That's including her scene in the beginning in Saigon. Yeah. His whole really motive, initial motivation of coming to Vietnam, boom, done. Okay. But we got the kid. 
So now he's got the kid motivation who he's never met to try to save, which is in true, you know, true manly man fashion. But instead of killing Braddock, uh, you think they're going to kill his kid. They kind of do this fade away, this gimmick, but they don't. Uh, but they hook Braddock up. And yeah, this is the part where we get to saw. Where it's a saw contraption to where old uh, guacamole uh, hooks up <laughs> Braddock. Harkening back to the other two missing in action films. One, what harkens back to it is he's got no shirt. So Chuck Norris, no shirt. And it's part of his contract. Yeah, He's being strung up by his hands again for a third time. So that's your missing in action trope of, of him continually being. But this time, instead of being beaten up or cut, they've got the rope attached to a, tri a trigger pull for a shotgun that's in front of a chair where they sit the kid. Yeah, I thought it was like kind of weirdly out of character where like suddenly there's just Guac opens his mouth and, and Tobin Bell is speaking. And he's like, <laughs> brother, I want to play a game. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> you're a man who snuck into my country and are wanted for war crimes <laughs> should you pay the ultimate price by a parent watching their child die in front of them or will you make the ultimate sacrifice <laughs> you decide you spent your whole life missing out on your, on your chances with your son Will this be the shot that you refuse to take? I don't know. It's, <laughs> Ooh, it's horrible. Nice, nice. You know, uh, you know, it's but it, here's the thing. Like when they test out the contraption before they put the kid in, they blow part of the top of the chair, chair off. off. It's a yeah. wooden chair. Right. But when Van, sorry, sorry. When Vaughn said, do, I'm doing Chuck Norris again. When Vaughn sits down in the chair, you see his head and behind it are the little pock marks from the, mm -hmm. you know, from the blast. But there's also like trickles of blood, like, you know, blood stains. What, like, but it's, it looks like it's blood stains kind of coming from bullet wounds, but that was, or bullet holes, but that's the very top of the chair. So what the hell was bleeding up there? Well, you don't know. I mean, people of various sizes may have sat in that chair. Like he said, he had to adjust. They had the, the shotgun on a little arm so they could adjust for height, which is forward thinking when they're building that, you know. So in case they have, instead of being a fixated gun, uh, which, you know, they tested out that it blows away uh, part of the chair. And that's to scare him. And yeah, old Chuck Norris being Chuck Norris, he's able to stand on his tippy toes for an hour, which pisses off guacamole. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, General Guac. I just can't think of guacamole. Just, but... just call him guacamole. It's about as respectful as this character slash actor oh my gets God. in this whole movie. The way this character is written. I mean, <laughs> it's like, let me open up the book of cliche and tropish Asian evil generals. Hmm. Yep. Uh, yep. Okay. We've, we've got it covered. It's amazing. It's like, cause along with everything else in this series, it keeps degenerating down through the sequels to the point where it's like, they're thinking there are still a few people out there making a case that our Vietnamese general bad guys could still be portrayed as reasonable, realistic human beings. We've got to fix that. You guys, Yeah. here's, <laughs> here's general guac. Here's general guac. And, so, yeah, so then that happens, and then, of course, they uh, he gets impatient because Chuck Norris is standing on his tippy toes because he didn't know that uh, his minor in college before he joined the military was ballet. So 
so Chuck Norris is just on his toes. And of course, he gets frustrated and he clicks. And another harken back to the previous movie, the gun is empty. <gasps> oh, and then he laughs and the kid is traumatized and Norris is, you know, Braddock's even more pissed. But it's OK because he's Chuck Norris and he's Braddock. So the the guac, did you mention the, did you mention the part where he's being electrocuted through half? Oh, of I forgot the electrocution part. Yeah, because he gets guac gets impatient and decides to up the ante by putting on a shock collar, and it's old school shock collar. So it's just his collar with a coil, and then he takes this generator, and they do the. <laughs> You know, to be, in case the audience did realize that this is going to happen, they do the bright sparks thing before attaching the contacts to his neck, and then he electrocutes Chuck to try, uh, Braddock to try to get him to get him off his tippy toes to to shoot his son. Um, again, saw related. Uh, yeah, know. and it, it's 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 really weird for you know if you're trying not. If you're trying to not say that, hey, I'm not saying that, you know, all these guys, uh, these generals are bad people and the Vietnamese army is bad, are bad people, all of them. Don't have them do a torture scene like this. If this we're talking again, thinking, I know for a film <laughs> like this, but still he is supposedly a war criminal for this country. So instead of letting his superiors know, hey, I have Braddock, the guy who we has a reputation, um, war crimes, you know, they take him to this saw area to, to, to torture him, you know, and then Guac, though, he makes the mistake of leaving Braddock alone with three henchmen. Don't do that because they're dead. I mean, which they are. We're, you know, that's what's most funny, too, is it like in the first one, he didn't kill most of the guys, at least right away. Like when he went to the, um, uh, at the, the, you know, the, the stronghold of the general to get where the location was for the missing uh, POWs, he mm -hmm. didn't actually, he put guys to sleep or he yeah. knocked them out. He didn't kill them. Here, he just straights up kills whoever is not, you know, whoever is in his way. He doesn't just put them to sleep. He's breaking their necks. Well, what's interesting, too, is because I, I made a note of this. Some of them are overt neck snaps where you get the, you know. Some of that, though, is just he puts them in like a sleeper hold or he gets them, you know, just yeah, the, he, yeah. Right there, but he breaks their necks, but you never see their head turn. You just hear the crack. So it's like, did he break their neck by literally flexing? Because this this well, movie, I'm pretty, I'm convinced, is where all the Chuck Norris memes. It's came gotta be. From. It's gotta because be. earlier he says with a straight face, because uh, I think it was maybe it was the priest saying, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to go, or maybe it was the CIA guy saying, you don't want to go stepping on any toes. And he says, I don't step on toes. I step on necks. I'm yes. like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I have that written down in my notes, too. <laughs> oh. It is. It is. This is this is this is the Rambo three of the franchise, folks. Same year. Same, same year. year. Same year. They're making Braddock like Rambo in here. As we alluded to helicopter conflict at the end. So anyway, uh and we're breaking this down because this this movie's just kind of mind-boggling. So he 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 rescues his son 
which, by the way, Chuck Norris doesn't care about barbed wire either. He can just grab that shit with his bare hand and just pull it to the side so that his son can get off the roof. And his son goes hiding. Uh, we don't know where, but we figure orphanage. We find out. Nor uh, Braddock does what Braddock does best. He, like, he doesn't even have to look to shoot people on dead on and kill them. Um, and I think this is where we get our first... Braddock, something that Guac says, isn't it? Uh, Guac says yeah. it like many times, three, t- at least three times. Because uh, Braddock l- escapes and he gets to the window and he goes, Braddock. It's just, it's like, why, why are you, why? why? I, uh, I don't know if we've passed this scene or not, but mm. you know, th- something just bugged the crap out of me. I had to admire the balls. Uh, at one point, Braddock breaks into a building that's yeah. one of Buck's strongholds. He goes, busts open the door. There's a guard there. He, I think he breaks the guard's neck. Mm-hmm. Guard falls down. Braddock exits frame. Five seconds later, a guy comes in. That's later on. Yeah, that's frame. Yeah. Kneels down to say, you know, to try and see if his friend's okay. And then Braddock comes back and, you know, kills him. They don't set up. Was this a room? Was the guy in the next room? Because you, you kind of get the feeling like, well, this guy was just in the corner watching his friend get killed and not doing anything about it. Well, you skipped the most important hook and the whole motivation and what makes Braddock even the manly man. And America is America, yeah. not only after he tortured, he's going to go find his son at the um, orphanage, but Guac actually thinks ahead and goes, oh, maybe they went to the orphanage. So they go to the orphanage. He finds uh, he finds Vaughn. And so Guac decides to pack up the entire orphanage, which, by the way, the number of kids that travel throughout the rest of this film, the number of films uh, kids vary. Okay, so sometimes there's just a small truckload and then there's like an entire school and then it's back and at the end it's like a hundred kids yeah. uh, on that bridge right uh, running towards the bridge yeah but so guac decides to take his uh you know vaughn as well as the orphanage and the priest and lock him up and take him to one of his uh you know um prisons and braddock with no shirt on Hides in plain sight is Skyrim. Yeah, exactly, Glenn. Skyrim stealth is exactly that because there's, but that, that's not the only stealth thing. This is where, if you ever watched the Weird Al UHF, we have alluded to yes. it in the last episode where he's literally in broad daylight in the black outfit, just walking behind soldiers and not being seen. Norris does this because after the kids get kidnapped to go to the camp, he goes to the camp and does the exact same thing, like literally broad daylight hiding like right there, just like he was with his no shirt on. And he goes to rescue the kids. And yeah, that's where that scene is, where he he takes out the one guard in some room. You don't know what room it is. It's just some room. And then the other guard who. What I love about that scene is the other guard shows up too quickly because he comes in the room kills the guy, leaves frame, not even five seconds. The other guy comes up and looks at the body. I'm like, did you not see the big guy come in the door and kill your friend? I mean, where were you? If they had at least had an establishing shot of like there's two different rooms, the guards, you know, one guy is around the corner or something. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But 
the thing with the kids, I think, again, that's an interesting story that could have been explored in a real movie. But I just kept having these unfortunate this thought crossed my mind. This movie is Chuck Norris beyond Thunderdome. Oh, it is <laughs> like we have to get these kids to back to civilization or whatever. <laughs> it, What's going on here? It is. It is. It is a Braddock beyond Thunderdome um, because um, we get this. And here's the thing is, OK, he we're doing this action film and it it, it has these huge explosion explosions and scenes and chuck norris being chuck norris as braddock you know super soldier and that and you're like okay it's kind of lighter action film okay he's killing all these guys let's not think about the big bad american killing anyway uh then we get the scene with the kids and we get this kind of out of place very exploitive oh god i for, i blocked that out until you brought it up a I very exploitive about. scene which surprise in all honesty with the way the film had been going up up until that point surprised the hell out of me that they put it in this scene because <laughs> braddock is master and blaster in one agreedly agree definitely oh and then rogue killer agent uh, rogue agent Killer Odin has to has to go. Has to go. Sorry, Rogue, but tuning in. Always thanks for the support. Longtime supporter. Appreciate it quite a bit. But this scene, folks, and the reason I I have to bring it up because up until now it's been canon action fodder. It's been canon fodder. It's been action. Okay, this has been kind of your standard. All right, we're used to it. And then we get the scene where you get the lecherous older soldier. You get the one one female orphan. And okay, they could have easily just alluded to what he wanted to do, but no, he pushes her down. He's on top of her. He's licking her neck while the rest of the orphans are beneath the cage seeing this. Yeah. And she's like, if she's 14, that's, you know, that's just, that's a wild guess. She's not even. And the, the, the problem of this scene that I there's many problems. One is just the way it was done and the the age and what was being portrayed. Okay, I get you're trying to be the whole purpose though of this scene, the only reason they do this is to justify later, two uh, not even a minute later, Braddock busting in to, to rescue him just before he's about to do something very horrific to this young lady. Just enough so that he can take his explosive grenade launcher to the gut of the guy and shoot him with it, let him land outside and shitty dummy explosion scene. That's the whole reason for that scene. And that's what really I hated about it was among many other things, but what really got me outside of everything else is up until then it's your normal thing. Then you throw this really dark, disturbing scene, but the only point of it was, so that you could justify Braddock being extra brutal in the kill, which he's already done brutal kills. You don't need to justify any further him doing that. And that's the way it seemed to be anyway. Well, you know, I probably have to think about this a bit more, but I'll just go on a limb here. You know, women are such a disposable commodity in this movie in particular. We've talked about, you know, in some of the other movies, the the not so flattering portrayal of, of women. But that's most has, I think, more to do with uh, the cultural portrayal of Vietnam of, right. you know, a lot of prostitutes in these villages. But you can understand that that was 
you know, had to do with the conflict and you got to get by somehow. This movie, like all of the women that show up, they're basically there to be fridged, mm. which is to just serve as motivation for the male hero to, you know, exact his revenge or, right. you know, put himself out there as a, as a symbol of virtue. Uh, I was surprised that this rapist guy got the the bayonet in the gut. I was fully expecting him to get it in the balls. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets like launched out into into the village. I mean, it's a cool idea for a way to kill somebody. You bayonet them to like get them on the, the hook. Mm. You blow them out of a wall and then they explode later. I'd like to see that in an action movie divorced from this really gross context because you know, I understand you want to show that this guy is really horrible, so he gets his just desserts. But considering that he's just another one-dimensional, right. evil, lascivious Vietnamese, you know, villain in this movie, I just it just it it's like doubly gross. It it is. It's a it's a completely gross scene. And again, it kind of took me out of the movie a bit because up until then, I'm like, okay, this is standard. This is what I was expecting, you know, Norris being, you know, Braddock being the super soldier guy, you know, and, and and just, okay. And then you throw this scene in here. And the thing is, I thought maybe where they were going to go with it is that his son actually, and this is due to the bad writing. I am not saying this as a criticism to the actor because I think it, the kid did just fine in the role, but mm-hmm. I thought it was doing a lead up of his kids somehow figuring out a way to distract the guy before he even got on like top of the girl like because he's looking up and so i figured okay they're gonna have his kid suddenly turn heroic kind of like his dad and and you know stop this really heinous act from even beginning by either distracting the guard or yelling at the guard or something so that he doesn't but he doesn't he just sits there like a lot of this film his son stands there and looks had this been a true sequel to the first mission action film mm-hmm. that that what you're describing would have happened yeah it would have been a lot smarter and you know really been about something giving him an opportunity for real heroism but it's not it's it's concerned with other things it's just like you know exploitation and you know cool <laughs> shit yeah, and and that's what was frustrating is because I like I would have loved to see them do more with his son, but his son really doesn't do anything till the very very end, which was kind of frustrating. And I know his son had qualms, you know, with him, but from the impression you get of the way his mother would have raised him, you would have thought he would have stepped up and done something to save the girl, you know, but any, most of the film, he is just a scared kid like the rest of the kids, which I understand they're going one hand with it, but that's not for this film. This film, Mm -hmm. you you want his son to step up because the way it feels like it's leading up to is like father, like son type of, you know, it's just, you know, the good genetics. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but they escape with the kids and they go on the run from a helicopter in another great action scene with a helicopter shooting uh, trees, annihilating forests around the truck as Norris drives it, you know, after he ran out of uh, explosive grenade launches, which, again, he had plot armor. So these guys couldn't hit the broadside of a barn because Braddock is standing in the middle of an open field. They are, they've got the high ground and <laughs> from multiple towers with machine guns. And they all 
miss. But he well, takes it's one the fancy shot. footwork from all that bal- that ballet yeah, that we established. Yeah, but Braddock's able to take out all the towers with the explosive, with the explosive gun, and then we suddenly go on a caravan movie to where now he's after the helicopters thinks they're gone and they were blown up. The kids they go on a travel, which I thought at first they said nineteen kilometers, which I'm like, okay, that's not too bad. But they say ninety kilometers. And in the preschools, you can't expect these kids to go 90 kilometers uh, through the woods and they're barefoot. And Braddock's like, well, they have to, you know, let, let's go, um, you know, until we come to the airfield. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on the 90 kilometers thing. That's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's I like, again, it's the action set pieces that make it worth it. I like what happened with that plane yeah um you know braddock commandeers this giant plane uh the pilot is not long for this world but as was established earlier braddock can take the controls of a giant plane and and make it work because as way they established with uh with mick earlier in the film foreshadowing again again foreshadowing exactly but i i I liked this sequence because it showed you know again talking about movies that other movies that can be made from this just the the relationship of the you know the kindly old French priest trying to keep these kids you know together mm-hmm. and keep their spirits up, and he's in the back of the plane with them. He's praying with them. They're all getting tossed around, and it was genuinely kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Every time they cut back to the cockpit, and you've got stoic Chuck Norris just like <laughs> put put cockpit in quotes. Okay, this isn't this isn't this isn't a real cockpit, folks. There at there was a scene earlier where he was in a cockpit, the establishing shot where he had the gun on the pilot who we've established he knows at least somewhat how to fly and he doesn't actually kill the pilot this time. He this pilot like, gets pilot gets killed but by by Guac, by Guac, yeah. by Guac mm-hmm. uh shooting at uh you know Braddock, uh, which we get another yell of Braddock as the plane takes off. Uh, <laughs> McBain! <laughs> it is a legitimate good scene. The, the whole sequence with the airplane and the kids getting on, and like you said, that whole thing up until they crash as well, is actually a legitimately good scene. You're like, okay, this is alright, we're kind of back on track. Alright, yeah, let's go. And then he radios from the cockpit in quotes, He's literally, folks, the one scene where he's talking on the radio looks like they took some uh, a Reynolds wrap and put it on uh, uh, some foam behind him and set up some chair for the pickup shots because they they lost their their deal for the day for the cockpit or whatnot. I don't know, but it, it just, is some real plan nine from outer space uh, just, movie magic. Yeah, it just does not blend with the rest of the. Co- I locked I looked at that. I'm like, OK. I'm sorry, but that that just looks like you you got near the end of the shoot and you had to do a reshoot or something and you had to because that is not a cockpit. He is he is in a closet. Um, but, hey, that's never been proven. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I just thought of the general later in his helicopter. Would that be the guac pit that he was in? That'd be the guac pit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So they needless to say they vet, they crash and. Braddock, being a very veteran soldier, gets on the public radio and tells them where he's at. Okay, um, the American 
frequency. He had to have known the bad guys were listening, but that's not quite alluded to. But they managed to land, and him being Braddock, he manages to land the plane, and everybody survives. So, But going back to the production design yeah. um, and the cinematography, like the wreckage when we see that plane is like, no, that's a, that's a giant destroyed plane, plane. that they messed <laughs> up even more. I don't know if that was an actual fallen plane that they found or if they just did some damage to the, the set prop or whatever that they built because it's it's all charred and the propellers all messed up. It, it, again, it's really impressive. Well, and that sequence beforehand, it, like you said, has actually got some tension to it. They cut from uh, Braddock's view out the window, which is actually some legitimately good, you know, camera work with the and then back to the priest i mean it builds tension you you actually kind you feel these characters are in peril and you actually feel the peril here which you don't feel for norris but you do feel for all everybody else not braddock you know braddock oppressor but you feel it for pretty much everyone else uh i gotta i i know this episode may go a little longer we're breaking this down but this film is just just yeah, it's bonkers. I, it's bonkers. wait, no, that's that's uh, that's that's the headshot from Lynn's that's death, the right there, the, yeah. or or the, <laughs> the headshot squib. of the cockpit pilot. Oh, and, that's right. Yeah. And the reason why I brought it up was because Norris, in good parental fashion, his kid sticks his head through the curtain and sees the dead pilot leaning on the side hole in his head there's some blood on the wall this kid's like 12 or 11 or 12 right norris goes oh hi he's like oh here and he pulls good over he yeah. pulls the dead body out of the cockpit he goes here have a seat and I'm, just... I'm like no i'm like dude there are brains on the headrest, Dad. What are you talking about? Take a seat. <laughs> but he, what made me actually laugh was just how nonchalantly he did it. He looked at the kid. He looked at the body. He's like, "Oh, the body's annoyed." And he just, he kind of pulls the body off, hap, hap, you know, just not even like completely off. He just kind of pushes it so the rest of the body weight lets him fall out of the chair. And he just, like, you're at dinner. He's like, "Oh, have a seat." <laughs> Not comedically, not ironically, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> really? I, I agree with Glenn. The kids gotta grow up some at some point. <laughs> the kids gotta grow up at some point. What better way to grow up than in the cockpit with Chuck Norris? Uh <laughs> you like movies about gladiators. <laughs> I see I see scraps as a boy dog. No, um, <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> so the final scene is this, as we mentioned, Rambo ripping off Norris. There's this bridge. They managed to make it to the border and there's a bridge where there's Thailand on one side. And I believe it's Thailand yeah, and Vietnam on the other. And they've got the bridge and they've got their checkpoints with machine guns and sandbags and that. And there's guys radioing and, the Vietnamese speaking, here's another issue where you really get the feeling they're trying to paint at least the Vietnamese soldiers as something else. And I'm saying that within the context of the film. I don't believe that, but I believe it, that's the impression it gives. They don't put subtitles on the Vietnamese speak, at least the DVD that I had. So you don't know what they're seeing until they say Braddock. They say Braddock's name. Right. That you understand, but you don't understand the rest. And where I say is problematic is by not translating what they're saying, you're further trying to distance them from 
the what you think is the American the, the audience that's watching it. You're you're separating it because now you're not even understanding these these uh, individuals who are speaking a different language, who are doing really horrific things. Oh, more justification, which you for some reason need for Braddock to go ahead, bust through the window, which a slow-mo, we get a slow-mo again, bust through the sugar glass with both guns, a blazing does a barrel roll shoots them and then busts through some, another window, <laughs> another window. He doesn't like sneak, stick his head out the window and take the guys out in the tower. No, no. He smashes through the other window, which the guys in the tower must not have heard because they don't notice right away. And then they look down. But by that time, it's too late because Norris is one handing AK 47 them in, in true, you know, Braddock fashion. Yeah, I want to. Uh, you bring up an excellent point about the lack of uh, subtitles and the the sort of dehumanizing of those characters. If you want to see a version of that that actually works to humanize uh, Vietnamese uh, soldiers, I guess in that case they were paramilitary. Uh, Spike Lee's movies movie *De Five Bloods*, which mm-hmm. came out last year. Uh, there's a scene where we, it's like these American black. Uh, former, you know, veterans go back in country to uh, pay honor to one of their own who was missing in action and also to steal some gold or something like that. It's a weird mm-hmm. movie. But there is a scene where they encounter what the audience encounters a scene of uh, Vietnamese kind of militants and they're just walking around talking to each other, having the same kind of scene that you get from American movies about GIs where they're just kind of like bullshitting and not just being you know, inhuman one dimensional monsters. Uh, but yeah, it's the same kind of a scene, but with the right shift in tone and intent, it takes on a completely different meaning that is the exact opposite of offensive. <laughs> it, it, it's all in context there. You just have people you have walking and talking, you know, their conversation casual in their native tongue. Okay, great. Here we have these guys only interacting as we've seen with English speaking folks, and then they talk, you know, in their native language, but it's only ever to apparently report Braddock is in the area because that's the only word you can understand. So they know the audience knows they're talking about Braddock just so you, in case you forgot. Well, no, it's, it's interesting because I know we're getting, I'm taking this on a tangent here, but are you familiar with the Bechdel test? Have you heard of this phrase? I've heard of it. Yeah. Essentially it's, and hopefully I get this right. It's kind of like a test in movies to determine the strength of your female characters. Mm -hmm. If you have two or more female characters in a movie that can have a conversation with each other that is not about the men in the movie, then they pass the Bechdel test. Um, if you've got two women who are just kind of relating to each other as you know women might, but they're it's not central to the plot that's driven by men, then you pass. If not, you fail. I wonder if there's a similar version for movies like this, where you've got a couple of you know say Vietnamese soldiers who are the only time you see them talking is to yell into a radio about you know the the uh, American assassin bad guy, mm-hmm. as opposed to. Yeah, you know, after I get off work, I'm going to go back home and see my kids. Things have been kind of rough in the village lately. <laughs> you know, we don't get that. Everybody in this movie just serves to be blown up by this guy or shot or to scream for help into a radio. 
Yeah, the only the only time we really see well, there is a little brief exchange with Vaughn and his friends on the street, uh, and they're they, they speak in Vietnamese, but even the context of that scene is just it's it's just really it's on it's just it surprised me without the subtitles, but that's for the ra- the way the portrayal of the uh other side is in this film it just adds one more problematic angle to it i i think you know yeah. I, I, and it, i i'm not far reaching or making a puddle out of a lake like i usually do i i think it's true i think that's they did that on purpose so you you completely they do not want you to feel at all for any of the soldiers you are to be rah rah again uh, for braddock the entire way in this film so they at no point give you any type of thing outside of these guys being the one dimensional really tropish stereotypical just bad guy they didn't even have to be vietnamese these guys these guys could have been anybody yeah i mean you know they could have been you know drug dealers or you know <laughs> dr well, evil's minions you know but, that, but that's why you know one of the many ways in which this gets away from the point of the original because when we were talking about missing missing in action one a couple weeks ago right we were talking about the subtext of like how the people that are capturing and torturing these folks, you can kind of understand where they're coming from because of like the whole war and, and invasion, <laughs> invasion USA sort yeah. of. Uh, and even with the with the last film, there's this idea of maybe these are, you know, government officials who are kind of working off the books and right. they've got these folks, mm-hmm. you know, in the camp. In this one, it's like it's 1988, but the war is over, but we don't know what they're like, why they have this fiefdom or this military. What is the reporting structure? Why are they okay with just, you know, capturing and torturing this, this one guy. They yeah. don't, re- they don't report him to anybody. It's just, again, Guac is like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out and torture this guy. Cause it's fun. I'm evil. And as, as uh, the BFD put it, it's an ex- uh, excuse for a Brad explosions. <laughs> Because mm. we do have Brad explosions and U.S. Chuck, U.S. Chuck. <laughs> Would that be USDA Chuck? No, wait, that's something else. Uh, but he's the, a beefcake. The the other problematic thing, and I'm not, again, I understand it's an action film. It's this is great, but and the other action films we've gotten from Canon, some of them, like we mentioned, even the previous two handled things a little bit differently. At least had some separation of. You know, maybe this is a rogue group or, you know, whatever. Here at the border scene, I mentioned how he's taken out about five of Guac's soldiers, right? It's in front of an entire battalion of American soldiers and American CIA government representatives. Mm -hmm. They're looking from across the bridge as an American on foreign soil, uninvited, has invaded and is killing people from another country in cold blood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and they're cheering. I'm like the you've just committed like every international crime there is. I don't care if it is Vietnam. It's still a country. It's there are rules and I know you're Braddock. You should bend them, but you're blatantly breaking them and you're not in some remote jungle doing it. You're in front of many, many witnesses to this. Well, and also again, going back to mission missing in action one, 
you know, he didn't just hop on a plane from America and sneak into Vietnam. He went there as part of a diplomatic mission. He was very right. smart about it. And he understood the ramifications of what he was doing, hence the importance of him busting into that embassy at the end to say, yeah, look, this means something. Right. This isn't just about blood or revenge. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is a real story. Uh, here, yeah, it is so weird to watch the American GIs just sitting there cheering. It's like like they're watching a Rocky movie in real life <laughs> or something. Uh, and like, what do we what do we do? There's nothing we can do. And of course, the same CIA guy, just like the CIA, apparently has one dude who just <laughs> teleports wherever he's needed. Good old he little John. Yeah. Yeah, little John. Uh, I don't know what's going on with this. I, I also don't know, because at the end, I guess it's great that we finally see Braddock get injured like a real human being because he gets mm -hmm. uh, a grenade thrown at him and he gets the shrapnel. He's all fucked up. And then Guac shows up in his helicopter and they and fire some rockets down onto it. And like Vaughn and Braddock are both there on that, you know, just aside from the bridge. Everything's blowing up around them. The smoke clears and they're both sitting there. They're fine. Well, no, no. Braddock was on top of his kid. He was protecting his kid. Let's not forget from the explosion. So, uh, but what I'm saying is like the, that explosion should have turned them to dust. Oh yeah. No, I know. I, I'm like, I'm like they're the, where their f vicinity was to the, the Braddock explosion, which is what it's going to be known as now the Braddock explosion that happens from the missiles, yeah, they should have been vaporized. But the Brado explosion was caused, that was where you had your helicopter scene attitude. Again, great cinematography in this film. I know we've been we've been hounding it because of the writing and portrayal and stuff, but there are some great moments, and the moments with the helicopter is actually really good, where he turns, Guac turns the helicopter around and goes, they aren't going to, you know, and the two helicopter pilots are like, if he gets one inch over the border, you let him have it. They're like, yeah, right. It. And the cop <laughs> choppers are kind of positioning themselves. It's a really cool scene, but you need that distraction so Vaughn can come up and help dad. And then when Guac turns his helicopter back around towards, uh, you know, Braddock, he misses with one missile uh, because, you know, and then we have a David and Goliath moment in this film in which you have the son helping injured father hold the AK up to shoot at the bad guy, which they finally do to dispatch him, which, you know, the bonding father son moment. Nothing bonds <laughs> kids better than blowing up a helicopter, apparently. Um, and then we get to the end and. Then the, the U.S. soldiers apparently figuring, oh, no one from Vietnam is left on the other side of the border for, to witness. They cross the border. They weren't supposed to, but they get on the bridge and they cross the border to help Braddock and the, the orphan kids who come out from hiding, except the one girl. Then they try to get, like, serious again and, like, message again with the young girl who everybody's cheering, which I felt horrible there. Everybody's cheering. <laughs> and she's the only one. She's the only female uh, orphan. And she, everybody's like cheering the rest of the group, but she's behind and no one notices that she's behind, which I know what they were going for. That's the context for what I'm going to mention, how this film ends, which is just such an awkward way to end a film. She looks back very sad. Cause she's, Obviously, she's been through hell. This this little girl's just seen some shit, right? 
And then she turns around and as she's heading towards the Americans and she's saved, she finally smiles. And then mm. we get this stinger at the end of 15,000 uh, Amerasian Asian children are still trapped in Vietnam. Braddock missing an action. It felt so tacked on at the end. It felt like, wait, we got to have a reason for that here. Boom. And I'm like, that's what you were going for. The fact that there's still Amerasian Asian children trapped. I'm like, that was the map. I'm like, I'm like, I, okay. <laughs> well, and again, I don't even have a problem with that necessarily. If this movie had been an actual sequel to the first yeah. missing action, because right. that was about, you know, prisoners of war. Right. And it was, you know, a small scale kind of one man war and everything, but they went and they actually got just four people out. And they looked like they had, you know, they were, had mm -hmm. been through hell, as I mentioned on the episode. It's not like they were all GI Joes, yeah. you know, tough badass. They, they, they were traumatized. So I could see if you wanted to establish artfully that Braddock went back in country to save his wife and kid. But it turns out they also stumbled across this orphan population and, and got them out. You can do that. You don't even need a central villain, really. You can no. just, you know, hell, just... Getting to the elements of the jungle would be uh, would be harrowing well, that, enough. That's what I was saying. The caravan, you know, movie to where oh now we've got to take care of these kids who you know you, you could do the movie on that. The rest of just them getting there. You didn't need extra helicopters or more Braddock or whatever. You could have, and that's why it was so weird. They put that you know tag at the end, and I'm like, okay. You know, and I understand that's what the little girl was supposed to represent. I'm like, I, I get that, okay? I'm I'm not that uh, obtuse. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, that's a different movie than, than, than what I got, you know? I just, uh, yeah, I feel like someone, maybe it was Aaron Norris or someone approached Chuck and said, hey, Chuck, you've been making these mission and action, missing in action movies. Did you know that there are 15,000 Amerasian children still in, you know, being held captain in Vietnam? Mm -hmm. He's like, what? We've got to do something about this. Let's write me a script. Well, Chuck co-wrote this, I think. So um, the, the story. Uh, but, uh, well, yeah, you had art. Well, the characters are based off of the originals. And then, uh, yeah, James Br uh, Bruner and Chuck Norris wrote uh wrote the script and Aaron Norris added some of his own things. So the original writer of missing in action screenplay apparently contributed to this, but Norris has a credit, which makes me wonder if there were rewrites. Either that or, you know, Norris took over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Chuck Norris take over or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, remember, he doesn't step on toes. He steps on next. Next. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, oh, and I also forgot. Um, we were talking about Mick, the mm -hmm. uh, Aussie pilot earlier. He is straight up the Tuck character, even down to uh, I'll see you in hell, Braddock. Yeah, right. He literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then let's not forget the two Ron Bloom songs that we opened with. Are you going to buy freedom anymore? And the wonderful ballad at the end. I see the love of freedom in your eyes, uh, which 
America, fuck yeah. Um, songs. It 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 is such a cheesy song uh that it's yeah, I mean to see where this first film went and where they ended up is is very mind-boggling in in even for canon fans. It's just it's like <laughs> this is the angle you took you know it just it was it's so weird because like you said the first one surprises you and then you have this one which is more of what you may have probably expected from the first one you know this type of thing is probably what you may have envisioned the first one when you know if you would have heard it would be oh it's going to be like this and then no you got that and i'm like oh hey great and then you got beginning which was like oh okay um great okay I got the first one, and then you get this one. You're like, "Oh, okay, great." Yeah, I <laughs> I pity anybody who watches these movies out of order, because I guarantee if you watch two or three, you're going to be dissuaded from watching one, which is which would be a real crime, right? You know. And again, tonight we'll wrap it up here. I know we went a little long, but it, it was just so much packed into this film that it was like, but it's one of those where there are bits again that I enjoyed there, there were certain sections, certain bits, the cinematography, as I mentioned, I loved how some of the scene, the action scenes were directed. You could tell stunt guy was directing this cause he knew how to block things for action. Um, you know, we even do get a good humor moment, which was, uh, way back in the, uh, when the CIA first confronts him after he talks to Mick, a guy pulls a gun on him and Braddock literally just goes, and he, <laughs> and he immediately takes the gun. It was, I liked that moment. That was fitting for his character. Just everything. It's like, okay, you know, it, that was kind of smart in that. But the film, as it goes on, just, I think it deteriorates. And then, and then by the end, you're like, uh, okay, you shot the helicopter with an AK instead of an explosive tipped arrow. But still, you know, <laughs> Rambo's be like, hey, you took my gimmick. Um, I would watch a Rambo three and a missing in action three team up of oh. that version of Rambo and that version of Braddock just being basically being the opening of, of UHF, <laughs> yeah. but with the actual actors, I would watch the hell out of that movie Freaking... as offensive as it would be. Cause I'd know exactly what I was in for. Yeah, exactly. Braddock and Rambo. There you go. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> missing in action first blood uh part four <laughs> don't put that out there they're still making rambo movies anyway <laughs> but we'll wrap it up tonight i know it's getting late but thank you so much folks uh thank you for the chat appreciate it uh <laughs> yeah the bfd he said that he just he wants to hear stallone shout braddock so be, <laughs> braddock it'd be kind of like adrian braddock braddock yeah, or yeah, or or hear you know Sylvester Stallone say Rambo, Rambo, Rambo. <laughs> I was going to say your Braddock impression of Sylvester Stallone saying Braddock sounded like Kirk Douglas towards the end of his life saying pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, so uh, yeah, folks, there you have it. We've covered all three films, and guess what? We're in. Thanks, for Lee. 
Uh, thank you, Lee, so much for tuning in. Thanks, BFD. Thanks to Killer Rodan. Appreciate the support. It's great to have you guys in chat and listening to us ramble about this interesting film. And yeah, this was really a, an experience. I, I don't regret <laughs> watching all three films, but this third one was really a surprise because this was the only one I don't think I had seen ever. And so watching it, I was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That happened, which we're going to get one more from Mr. Aaron Norris because he's back to direct Hellbound. No way. Yeah. Okay. Directing Hellbound. Fine. Who wrote it? That's what I care about. <laughs> who, who wrote Hellbound? Let's let's take a look quick. We're going to give you a little preview of uh, the next film that we're going to cover, which is Hellbound, which is, uh, you know, Chuck Norris uh, fighting a demon. And uh, who wrote that one? Uh, looks like lots of credits for people. <laughs> always a good sign. Um, always a good sign. Brent V. Friedman and Galen Thompson. Uh, oh, wow. They they wrote... Uh, oh. Okay. Um, well, this will be an interesting film because one of them wrote Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. But well, he, wrote, hey. he wrote a lot of other stuff, too. Pre-Hysteria 2 and three um so this is like the the person who's like big into sequels oh he wrote ticks uh he did write the dark side uh, dark skies series uh he wrote a couple episodes of the enterprise and twilight zone huh? and so it's, it's a mixed bag oh he wrote episode three episodes of the clone wars and rebels so hey, hey we might be in for something galen thompson the other one who wrote hellbound uh he was an actor a special forces soldier in close encounters of the third kind um <laughs> i always love those credits and uh yeah he wrote uh what did he write oh he wrote sidekicks the hitman he he's a he's a chuck norris fan walker texas ranger three deadly reunion as well okay so he's he's kind of a buddy with norris galen thompson is so That'll be interesting. Hellbound next week is yeah. not a canon film. So we're ending this month with uh, that. But, you know, Ian shot the canon last week because it was the end of our actual canon fodder film. This was the Don't Fuck With Chuck month uh, episode, which also happened to be canon. Uh, so next month we will be doing Death Wish 3. And next week is Hellbound. So, Ian, the floor is yours, sir. Uh, license to shill. Well, I'm Ian Simmons uh, from Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel. So uh, check me out there. I do about two or three videos there a week, along with uh, written reviews and who knows what else, interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, love to, to have you join and hang out um, on Friday nights. Uh, we do a live stream at 8.30 p.m. Central. Uh, focusing on the Disney Plus Marvel series. We did one on WandaVision. We are going to be wrapping up this Friday, the big episode six season one finale for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which uh, Mark has been gracious enough to to hang out and talk with us on. So yeah, if you want to do that, uh, subscribe to the channel, click the bell for notifications and come hang out with us in the chat, much like we're doing right here, but talking Marvel and you know, different kinds of cartoonish action here. <laughs> different cartoonish action here. Yes. thank you so much for your support i am braddock i am braddock i am the braddock no um sorry you're getting there i'm getting You'll... there i'm getting yeah. there uh 
What? Um, You'll have it perfected by the time we talk Hellbound. There we go. So thank you so much, folks. And I will just say a good night, everyone. Good night. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you would like to get access to exclusive Spoiler Room content, stop on by our Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you will get access to VIP episodes, hear the discussions we have before our episodes, and a whole lot more. With your support, we can continue to provide the quality content you've come to expect. Thank you again for listening to The Spoiler Room, where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. 